this is Sean Donovan, and you're listening to the guys at Send Central. Brady Kachuk out the other side, sweeps it back to Wyman at the point. Slides it across, here's Lajoie. Sends it in front for a re scores! Play is waved off immediately. Play is under review. You know oh, what, no. this went off Brady Kachuk's Brady Kachuk. right foot. It is Brady Kachuk's first National Hockey League goal. His first in the National Hockey League, score by number seven, le numéro set, Brady Kachuk. Chuck in the zone, gets a shot, SCORES! Oh! Second NHL goal, this one is highlight real stuff. <laughs> There's a nice drop to the one knee and a good fist pump, and he'll feel better about actually shooting the puck into the net. We joked because Brady Kachuk's going to score a lot of goals, like his first one, but the second one, the celebration to match, that was a special Moment. I'm Ross Levitan, joined today with Chris Parliament over the phone. Chris, how's it going, man? Good, good. Excited to get this going. It was a lot of fun last night, and uh, yeah, couldn't be more excited to talk about it today. Yeah, we thought we'd have all the guys together, but unfortunately, Bob McKenzie kicked us out of the studio. I'd say that uh, the Bob father has the right of way. So Brandon won't be in this podcast, but you will hear him because we've got an interview coming up with Sen's draft pick and of course, a goalie. We're a goalie-friendly show. Joey Decord of the Arizona State Sun Devils. Don't want to give away too much, but, I mean, the guy started the season with back-to-back shutouts. So look forward to that, but let's talk Brady Kachuk, man. How awesome was that, seeing the fist pump on the second goal? And it's funny we say the second goal because the first one, you know, there was a little bit of a smile on his face. I think he knew it hit his foot and it went in, and then he was kind of pointing around and, it seemed like everyone else was real excited, didn't know who was got it. I think Brady knew all along, and then once that second one, he let out that uh, medieval roar, and the whole place went nuts, and that's what you expect from him. And for him to get two in his first home game, that was something special. And, yeah, it was exciting to see what he was able to do last night. Yeah, we're going to talk about Max Lajoie, who set up his first goal on the power play, nonetheless. But Keith Kachuk, I mean, the guy was with with Ottawa through their trip to Toronto until Boston to watch his son make his debut. It's too bad the game after is when he got on the score sheet, but he did become the Kachuk to score the quickest because Keith took five games to get his first, and his brother Matthew took four games. So just in his second game, and he's already got his first NHL goal. Now we are four games into this NHL season and despite a 1-2-1 and one record the Senators have been playing an entertaining brand of hockey and we haven't heard that since Guy Boucher took over but what do you have to say about this up-tempo, high-event style? Do you think you'd like to see the Sens continue like this all season or is it going to be important to tighten up defensively? Well, what I noticed in the first couple games was they were able to play that speed game because they do have burners in the lineup now. You look at Alex Formson, you look at Mikel Bodker, and guys were flying around the ice, and it looked like that up-tempo game they were going to have some success with. But the game that's what sorry, what stuck out with me last night in the game was the neutral zone seemed a lot sloppier, and that was one of the strengths against the Leafs. I thought the neutral zone really stood up the Leafs lineup, and they weren't able to get into the zone. And I think that added to a lot of success because – they were hitting the brakes for Toronto going into the Ottawa zone and then flying back the other way. And last night, I think they got a little bit away from that. But right now, you've got young defensemen who want to play up in the play and are finding some success doing it. So right now, I think it's a good formula. 
Um, what's there to lose <laughs> at this point? You got to keep playing with pace, and I think that's what they were doing. Oh, we saw all sorts of pace. If you follow us on Twitter at Send Central, you would have seen that I was at the game in Toronto in enemy territory, and I have to say I've been to about five games in Toronto, and that was the least amount of red that I've seen. Now, somebody pointed out on Twitter it was Thanksgiving weekend, so a lot of people who are from Ottawa living in Toronto did go home. But for us that went, I mean, the Senators now 10-3 and against Toronto during the Mike Babcock era, which, I mean... Torontonians will say signalized signaled the the end of the the rebuild and the start of becoming back to um, a, a franchise that's worth talking about. I mean, at TSN Radio, that's all we hear all day. But just watching the way that game developed, I mean, Mitch Marner getting a penalty shot that was a garbage call. And yeah. where I was sitting was the top of the 100 is not a big deal behind the goal that Ottawa attacked twice. So I got to see Thomas Shabbat come right at me and through Ozaganov and through Frederick Anderson. What can you say about Thomas Shabbat and his development? We, we've we seen strong two-way play, too. It's not like it's all in the offensive end. This guy looks like he's got the makings of an elite, elite defenseman. And he looks like he's back in junior where he was absolutely dominant. And I think what happens when a player dominates in junior and has all the tools to do it at the National League level is it just comes down to confidence and comfortability, and he looks comfortable with the puck right now, and he's making those decisions to hold on to it a little bit longer and force plays. You talked about that goal against Ozaganov. That's taking a chance. That put him right out of the lineup. Exactly. He knew where he was in the game. He knew he had a chance to beat the, to beat Ozaganov to the net. It was a great move, but right now he's just keeping his feet moving and keeping the play going north. I feel like a lot of times if a player has the puck and he's known for handling the puck, he can start going east and west, and I think that's the biggest learning curve for a lot of young players is coming into the league, you got to realize you got to go fast, and you only have a few seconds to make plays, and right now Thomas Shabbat is making the most of those few seconds and just pushing the puck north, and there's, there's no um, wavering in his game. He's just making his decision and going for it, and that's what he was doing and what he was doing in junior to be so successful. Chris, we lauded the job that Mark Mathot did next to Eric Carlson for all those years, and it was a really big piece missing last season. So with how important a defensive partner is, especially for a guy who likes to jump into the offense, what can you say about Dylan DeMello's game so far, or Mello as the boys like to call him? Well, it's been Mello. He's not going to stand out for you. He's not going to make that outstanding play, but he's one of those guys, if you're not talking about him, he's playing right, and he flew under the radar for the first few games. Of course, when you've got guys like Max Lejoie, who we'll get into, Thomas Shabbat playing so well, it's tough for him to get the headlines, but he was a plus seven going into last night, and you know I'm a big plus minus guy, so plus seven, that's a standout number for me, and He's just doing all the little things right, and sometimes you just need the guy to make the simple play, and that's exactly what he's been doing. Yeah, he really has, and Chris Tierney's been a pleasant surprise as well. Seems like uh, a good compliment to Alex Fermentin, who's looked a little nervous starting, and I feel like Fermentin's game, well, it's gotten better and better up to the point where Philly, he had every flyer off their game after that altercation in front of the Flyers' bench. Seems like every guy on that bench took a number because they were going after him and after him, and he ended up leaving the game with an injury. We don't know. Uh, it seems like he'll be day-to-day. Not sure if the Sens will be calling up a forward. They do, of course, have Paul Carey up with the team right now. But have you noticed Formington's game become more comfortable? Because 
He's getting close. We're four games in now. They have to make a decision on him because he's either going back to the OHL or you're burning a year off of his contract. I think right now, I talked about it a little bit earlier, they've got that speed element in their game, and that's something that they're going to want to stick with. Just because the speed that they have in their lineup, you got to utilize your tools. And Mikel Bocker, we've seen take good rushes, and I think Alex Borenton can learn a lot from him. And then that is just taking chances with speed, pushing the pace. And right now you're seeing that the neutral zone can get stopped up pretty quick in the NHL. So if you've got a guy that can you can stretch it out and put that one defenseman on his heels on the right side, or sorry, the left side, that'll really stop the, the off sorry, the other team from closing everything down in the neutral zone. And you're, you're right, he has been getting closer. He's been flying down the wing a couple times. And I mentioned on Twitter when uh, our friend over at Sense Prospects put that chance up that he had against Toronto that that would have been the icing on the cake. And I think he is getting close. And once he gets close, I think the confidence will start building and all the young guys can come together. And I think he's got a shot of sticking with the big club. Yeah, I like I like what I've seen in terms of progress enough to keep him around now. Thankfully, there is five there are five games left uh, of him in the lineup before a decision has to be made. But I wouldn't be mad to see him go back to London either. I I don't think that could hurt at all his confidence level, and he could be a big part again of of a World Junior team. And we know uh, we like to see guys have success at that level. Like Thomas Shabbat, of course, dominated that tournament. Still, the only defenseman to ever win MVP at the World Juniors, but as a young team, discipline can be an issue. Now the Sens with 20 minor penalties already, that's the second most just behind Philly, who we saw be undisciplined a lot last night. Can we expect this to, to become under control as these young kids maybe get all the jitters out? Uh, we, we know Brady Kachuk's going to get his fair share of penalties, but I think often he'll bring another guy to the box with him. Yeah, I think uh, you, you've seen his brother. It's in their blood, right? And I heard a stat the other day that Matt Kachuk, takes penalties, but he's also drawn the most penalties since he's been in the league out of any player. So if we're looking for a guy like Brady Kachuk to do that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end up going in Ottawa's favor, I believe. But if you're getting back to these young guys, last night was obviously an anomaly, and that's going to hike the number of penalties taken when you've got four guys in the box at once. But, uh, you know, it's tough to see so many penalties being taken. And before that... I think I had 19 shots on the uh, power play for Philly counted last night. That's just too many chances, and especially if you're going to if you're going to rely on Anderson, you can't let him get shell shocked last night. You got to help him out any way you can, and you got to look at the matchups as well. If you look at a team like Philly, they're a very top loaded team in that top line of uh, Sean Couturier, Claude Giroux, and Jakub Borchek. If you let them get on the power play early and start handling the puck and continue to give them chances, it's going to hurt your team because that top unit is lethal. You got to make them play a four-line game, and you got to—that's another strength of playing with pace, right? So once you start playing those teams that are very top-heavy, like Philadelphia and like LA coming up, you got to stay out of the box because you're just playing into the strengths of the other team at that point. Well, and Philly got absolutely hammered the day before, eight to two by San Jose, so you knew they were coming in angry, and local boy Claude Giroux, 20 minutes of ice time, 64% in the face-off circle, a goal, an assist, seven shots, and uh, was it Voracek who had five apples? So, yeah, the big boys came to play for Philly, and I think that's a great lesson for these young Senators, and one of these young Senators who we haven't really spoken about right now is Maxime Lajoie. Who would have had him tied for second in rookie scoring. I know it's so 
early. But with five points in four games and a point in every home game, maybe a point in every game. And I think what's most impressive with for me, Chris, is he's playing over 20 minutes a game. They're not sheltering him like you usually see a young defenseman. And we thought that Christian Willinen was going to have that job. But Maxime Lajoie is showing over and over again why he earned a spot on this team and is the reason why Ben Harper is still in the press box. We saw him play at uh, the rookie tournament last year, and there was a couple plays where he looked great out of his own end because he's so calm and he could just take that extra second, throw it off the glass. He doesn't mind making the right play. But then offensively, he was the power play quarterback, and some of the reads and passes he was making was absolutely unbelievable. But the most important thing, I think, for his game right now is his confidence to use the entire attacking zone, especially on that power play. The way he floats down to the hash marks, he knows when to do it, and he takes his shot, and he makes the most of it. And if Brady Kachuk's going to be standing beside the net, using that spin play and throwing the puck out front, that's exactly where I want that defenseman to be. And right now he's reaping the benefits. Yeah, I, I mentioned maybe a point in every game. That wasn't true. He had no points against Toronto or Boston. So that's a two-point night in the opener and then a three-point night against Philly. And against Philly, he played his, his most of his career, 23 minutes and 19 seconds. So love what we're seeing from Maxime Lajoie. Now there's another defenseman who had his name thrown into this interview when we asked who impressed him the most at development camp. So without further ado, we're going to send it over to Brandon and I. The two goalies had a conversation yesterday with Joey Decord, two games into his NCAA season with the Sun Devils. And I will apologize a little bit. My audio isn't perfect. Joey's is great throughout the whole time. But we actually did this interview in Belleville while we were waiting to go to our, our training session for, for working the home games for the Senators. So we wanted to get it in. We thought, man, this guy's off to such a hot start. We have the opportunity uh, to get the interview thanks to the PR team at Arizona State. They were all class, really great to work for. So uh, here, let's toss it over. Here's Joey Decord. All right, we're very pleased to welcome maybe the hottest goalie in college hockey right now. Two games, two shutouts for the Arizona State Sun Devils, Joey Decord, how's it going, man? Hey guys, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Of course, yeah. So we always say we're a goalie-friendly show, so you're a second goalie on. We had Marcus Hawkberg on uh, last season, but what a, what a start for you. Just uh, go over, you've got a big test coming up against Ohio State, but take us back to those two games against Alaska Fairbanks. Was it a summer training that paid off, or were you just in the zone? Take us through the, the back-to-back shutout. Yeah, it was a good weekend. It was a great start. Um, for me, obviously, it was really nice to get off on the right foot this year. Just things going from last season. Um, I don't think any, it was anything too crazy. Um, I thought since I've been here, it was two of the strongest team games we've played. So um, my teammates did a really good job um, making my life easy. So um, I thought it was a perfect start to, to get the season going, and I was just really happy to uh, get two wins and then two shoutouts is just the added bonus. Yeah, congrats on that, Joey. Always nice to start the season off hot. Um, I was just wondering, you've played at Arizona for a couple of years now. Have you noticed the growth of hockey in the state of Arizona? It seems like it's really starting to kick off in the desert. Absolutely. Um, the first year I got here, I mean, for, for me personally, I've noticed it just in attendance at our game. Um, you know, we're in the process of building a new arena down here, but uh, where we play right now seats about a thousand people, and I remember 
our student section the first year was kind of, you know, a mixed bag. Some nights would be all right and some nights not so great. So, um, right. and now, now we're at a point where it's like, there's, we got hundreds of people outside waiting to get in. It's just, just from a student standpoint, wanting to come see us play. So, um, you know, they're, they're having to turn people away, which is really cool. And then, wow. um, we do, we do community service work with, um, different youth programs down here and, and uh, right now, hockey in Arizona, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe um, youth hockey is, is the, in Arizona, fast, the fastest growing state in the country for youth hockey. Um, so it's, it's, I've noticed it in my three years here, and uh, it's really cool to see, honestly, because we feel like we're a really big part of that. Yeah, that's awesome, and it helps having Austin Matthews as well lighting up in the, in the National yeah. League. Can't, can't yeah. hurt that, but so you're from, from the Boston area, northeastern kid, there's it's a hockey hotbed. You've got the bean pot every year. Tons of great colleges and universities. What made you choose to go into the desert of all places to play hockey? Yeah, absolutely. I, I growing up was a big college hockey fan, um, and and for the most part, it was really just hockey East and you know Boston College and Boston University and, and that type of thing. Um, and it was funny. I remember um, I remember the day that Arizona State announced that they were um, going Division One. I. I think my buddy sent me a screenshot of a tweet and was like, "That's so sick! Like that's going to be unreal to go out uh, and play college hockey out there." And I kind of I was like, "Yeah, haha, like it's going to be cool." And I just never thought of myself coming out here. Um, and then, funny enough, a few months later, um, we won a tournament um, when I was in, in prep school, and I got a call from Coach Powers here at ASU right after. Um, and he asked me to come down on, a, on an official visit, and I went down, and uh, it was January, and it was like 90 degrees or something, and it was <laughs> I was wearing flip-flops, and it's kind of hard not to love it here. Um, and, and him and I kind of established a good connection, um, and he just kind of told me what they were trying to do here in, in building um, hockey in the state of Arizona and, and growing our program, and um, I thought it would be a really, op- really good opportunity for me to play um play a lot and and hopefully build this program into what we all hope it'll be one day as one of the top teams in the country well you mentioned that when you came on to Arizona State you guys just started an NCAA league and 12 of your 13 starts as a freshman were against ranked teams so thoughts have been thrown into the fire I'm sure you're seeing a lot of rubber at that point Um, but I want to touch on uh, Coach Powers as well because your dad is one of the most accomplished goalie coaches uh, Brian McCord with stop at goaltending, but I heard that Powers is also a goalie. So was that kind of a connection you had as well? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, he played here um, uh, when he went to school here, and he played goalie. So we kind of, you know, on top of just the regular um, coach-to-player connection, we also have a little bit of a goalie connection too as well. So that definitely added to the relationship for sure. Uh, Joey, I wanted to talk to you. It's been a recent trend uh, lately. Lots of goalies posting pictures of uh, their cool new helmets, uh, really color, really colorful pads and stuff like that. And as soon as Ross and I saw your gear this year, it just looked so fresh with the maroon and the yellow. I wanted to know, do you put a lot of thought into how your equipment uh, is going to look and how much time do you do preparing, trying to get the, the right combo of colors into your glove, your pads, your helmets, and everything? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's all... For me, it's like my my big masterpiece. <laughs> nice. uh, every year, it's, it's one of my favorite parts, especially in the off season. Um, you know, working with the painter, designing the helmet, what you want to have on there, 
Um, and then the gear, trying to match it to, like, we got new jerseys this year, so it was a little bit different trying to match the new jerseys um, and that type of thing. So um, I love to put a lot of time into it because I, I really like how I look. I feel like when I look good, I, I feel like I play well. And, and I try to dress I try to dress dress myself so I look big. Um, I'm trying to go for a lot of, like, clean designs um, where I make myself look big in the net and, and swallow up that net. So uh, it's kind of got two two different elements of looking cool, but also, um, you know, practicality as well. So um, I, I definitely put a lot of time and effort into it and usually usually use my phone a friend and, and have a few of my, my best buddies help me out and, and we kind of go through and figure out what the coolest design would be and stuff. So... Um, that's always fun as well. Would you consider yourself a hockey nerd? Oh, absolutely. So, well, if you, a quick Google search comes up, Joey Decord highlights, and you notice that it's posted by Joey Decord. Is that you doing all the editing and putting those together? Yeah, I make I make little uh, little highlight reels of of my seasons after the year. Just I usually post on my Facebook for my family and friends to see, and then um, just leave them up on YouTube in case anyone anyone else wants to go take a look at them but i just do them for fun it's it's kind of a way for me to recap my year and um you know i can i can go look back at my last couple of years of, of hockey and and kind of see the highlights of those years and um i don't know i think it's a cool way to to recap those years and, and kind of keep them fresh in my mind yeah in a funny way it could almost work as like a demo reel too you know you got drafted by the ottawa senators you've been attending their development camp since 2015 what has that experience been like to you I love it every time. Um, I've gotten more and more comfortable every year. I remember my first year I got drafted on Saturday afternoon at about 1 o'clock, and then within like 36 hours I was on a plane to Ottawa um, for development camp. So um, I remember my first year was just a whirlwind and um, just kind of just trying to take it all in, and, and I didn't really know anybody or um, know any of the kids. And, and now I kind of go back every year, and I, I, I drop my bag down in the locker room, and I walk around, I say hi to everybody, I remember everybody, and... Um, I see so many of the same faces every year that um, it's really helped me become more comfortable with everybody and just kind of know the way Ottawa does things and, and um, get familiar with the organization and, and stuff. So um, I love the experience every year. Yeah, we were at the uh, the three-on-three tournament this year, but who who on the ice stands out to you, uh, let's say this past year, because I, I think the probably agree that was the most talented group top to bottom uh, of skaters as well as, uh, as goalies, which guy do you see maybe has a, has a tough, tough to pinpoint his release, or just somebody that impressed you there? Yeah, a few guys, a few guys uh, really impressed me. I think um, one of the guys is, is Logan Brown. He's just so crafty, and he's always he's always making plays that you know um, that are very very high level, top end skill plays that sometimes he does stuff, and you're just like, wow, that was, that was really nice. So um, I like watching him play. Um, and one of the one of the younger guys, one of the new picks, uh, Johnny Tyconic, he's at North Dakota. Um, him and I, him and I became really good buddies this year at camp, and um, he was very impressive as well. He saw the ice really well and made a lot of really nice plays. So um, I liked watching him play as well. Man, he can't post anything on Instagram without getting chirped by you, though. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so that's awesome. So I wanted to go back to your gear a little bit. On the back of your helmet, you've got. The American flag, but you've also got a Canadian flag and a Swiss flag. What uh, mm-hmm. what's the significance of the the other two countries? So my dad was born and raised in Montreal, um, so so I'm part Canadian, and then um, he played professionally in in Switzerland, 
which is where he met my mom. So my mom's entire family is from Switzerland. Um, so I'm part Swiss. And then I'm actually a first-generation American. I was born in Boston because uh, my dad went to college in in the Boston area. And then after he played professionally, they moved back here. Um, and then I was born here when they moved back um, stateside. So that was kind of the basis behind that. I'm, uh, I have a tri-citizenship with all three countries. So... Um, I kind of like to pay a tribute to all three of them because they're all uh, three important countries and, and um, just important to me and, and my life. That's awesome. I love that. Um, sorry, so I was going to go back to your, your past there. Well, how many did you go through a year? How many sets a year? Yeah, yeah. Um, I we get uh, we get one set of pads and then we get two sets of, of gloves and blockers. So. Um, I think if I could, I'd probably use two sets because by the end of the year they get pretty beat up. But for the most part, um, two gloves, two gloves and two blockers, and, and a set of pads gets me through the year. And then I usually go about twelve to fifteen sticks, I'd say. Joey, speaking of uh, all the sticks you go through, I imagine you go through a lot of sticks because you do a lot of work on your stick handling. I saw uh, a highlight video of just you doing stick handling stuff, and you you put it to good use. Uh, one of your recent games against Alaska, you set up one of your teammates with an unbelievable breakaway pass. Is that something you've always been really good at, or is that something you've really focused in on and tried to make a really good part of your game? Well, I've always loved doing it. Um, when I was a kid, maybe 11, 12 years old, there was a point where I had been playing goalie for five or five or six years, and I played both positions. I actually played, I skated out and played goalie until I went right. to high school, actually. Um, so I kind of developed that, that stick handling and, and skating there, um, playing playing out of the net as well. And, you know, there was a little period, probably for a, a little while, where I was indecisive on what I wanted to be. So um, I ultimately chose goalie, and, and I want to be a goalie, and I love playing goalie, but... Um, I love to get involved in the offense when I can, and, and I was fortunate enough when I played in the USHL, um, our coach kind of gave me free reign to to play the puck. So I kind of just took that as an opportunity to just play the puck as much as I could and try to make plays, and, and, and our coach encouraged that. So that was really productive for me, and then um, I kind of developed that skill set there a lot. And then when I came here, it was kind of the same thing, um, and I kind of just kept getting more and more and more comfortable with it. And now I'm at a point where, um, you know, I'm always looking to to be active and and help uh, help our team out. Trying to keep it simple for sure, but um, when plays are there, like the one that happened last weekend, um, you know, I, I usually don't hesitate to to try to find those. Definitely, and nothing better than when a guy gets a goal and his first move on the celly is pointing back to the goalie, being like, "That was an amazing pass. You gotta love that." So you're probably not uh, too big of a fan of the trapezoid that eh? kind of limits you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never had to play with it, so um, we'll see how that goes when I get there. Yeah. Um, you know, but I would imagine that every other goalie in the NHL has figured out how to do it. So uh, I'm sure I'm sure it's it's not the end of the world. And and in, in regards to that, the celebration, me and Johnny, the kid that scored, um, Johnny Walker, we we. We have a good chemistry. He, we always kind of find each other somehow. Um, I remember on that play, I just looked up, we locked eyes, and he took off, and, and I found him there. So it was uh, pretty cool of him to, to point back at me in the celebration. Yeah. Were you a Bruins fan growing up? What's that? Were you a Bruins fan growing up? 
Yeah, growing up, I, I was a Boston Bruins fan, just Boston sports fan in general. Um, and, and then once I got drafted, oh. my allegiance has uh, changed a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So would that have been still Tuka Rask as your guy watching growing up? Who'd you, who'd you emulate growing up? I know that Corey Schneider kind of a guy you've been compared to, and he works with your dad as well. Yeah, so growing up, my dad, uh, my dad actually coached, uh, with the Boston Bruins when I was really young, um, when I was probably five or six for a couple of years. And the goalies he had were Byron Defoe, he oh, had boy. John Graham, and he had Andrew Raycroft. So my first two goalies that I was really big fans of were Byron Defoe and Andrew Raycroft. Those two were my guys. I got, I got Byron Defoe's sick signed in my room and I got a, Bruins jersey, the one of the old gold sweaters with the bear on the in the middle. Uh, I got one of those signed by Andrew Raycroft. Um, and so those were my two favorite guys growing up. And then once I became older and kind of um, you know more into the rest of the league as well as really big fans, obviously of course Snyder because I've skated with him so many times and uh, my dad works with him, but also. Uh, with some of the other guys I've, uh, I've been able to skate with, Scott Darling from the Hurricanes, um, and Mike Condon, who's actually a center goalie now. Um, so I know those guys well. So um, those are some guys that I really look up to because I know them personally, you know. So having had the chance with your dad being such a great goalie coach and having all those pros around you, did that kind of help uh, drive your passion to be a goalie? I know you said you were kind of flip-flopping between – being a player, skating out, and being a goalie. Did having that constant goalie connection around you, did that kind of really flip the switch for you? Yeah, I think so. I think I think I was destined to be goalie um, regardless. Sounds um, like it. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like I said, I was never I was never really, like, forced into being a goalie. My dad never really forced me to play, right. know, to play hockey, but it was just something I always wanted to do. And then to be fortunate enough to just always be around the rink and all, always around these awesome goalies, I definitely think it added fuel to the fire um, and kind of took it to that another level. And um, when I was when I was a little kid, I was just always a rink rat, always hanging around the rink, always watching hockey on TV. Um, so I think I think all of those elements combined really um, really sparked sparked that that fire to be a goalie. What's your favorite save to make? My favorite save. Um, yeah. Probably like a nice backdoor full split glove save. Those are always fun. Uh, you know, a guy thinks he's got to open that. He's taking a one timer and then you just come slide over and it hits the pocket of your glove and it makes that nice sound like a like a nice hard pitch hitting a baseball glove and and um, just you hear that leather sound. It's it's really nice and a guy just looks to ceiling. That's always the best. That's awesome. So Arizona State they've produced Jake Plummer as a football player. They've produced James Harden into the NBA. Joey Decord could be next, the first hockey player. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Really appreciate your time, and good luck this weekend against the number one ranked team, and we hope to catch up with you soon, man. That would be great. Uh, We appreciate having you. Sounds good, guys. Thank you very much for having me. So we'd love to thank Joey Decord and ASU's PR rep Mitch Terrell for setting up that interview, and uh, that's not the only college guy you're going to hear. We've got uh, some feelers out, and I think we're going to have a little bit of a, a college hockey series. So I know we're really interested. I, I know I can speak for Parliament on this one, too, about watching the Sens. They have so many prospects playing NCAA hockey this year. Uh, who else are you excited to watch? I know we're going to see how long Joey can keep this streak going, too. 
Well, there's some uh, there's some big names and big programs out there. Christian Malinen, he played at UND, and we both know that the uh, the back to back the buddies taken in the draft this year. Uh, Jonathan Bernard Docker, or sorry, Jacob Bernard Docker and Johnny Tyconic. Well, yeah, so you heard it, <laughs> you heard in the interview when I asked about which prospects stood out at Dev Camp, Logan Brown with how crafty he was. But then he mentioned Johnny Tyconic, just how well he can see the ice. And I'll, I'll always go back to this. He's an outgoing hockey player. So that's awesome <laughs> in itself. But the Sens will need some more defensemen because keeping the puck out of the net has been a bit of a problem. I mean, we're all we're all for goalies on the show. but And Craig Anderson, let's be honest, he's shown some flashes, especially in the game against Toronto when the Leafs brought pressure in waves. But there's been some moments in games where you need an extra save. You think of the Boston game where Mike Condon, you know, there's a couple that he would like to have back, and I'm sure he'd be the first to tell you. But it, it ultimately comes down to a team defensively. So, Chris, like, what do you think the Sens need to do here to cut down on the amount of goals against? Because they're not like the Leafs. They can't play seven, six games with you early in the season. They're going to have to tighten this up. You're absolutely right. There's not There's not enough offense there to support that kind of style of play. We talked about the discipline. That's going to shoot yourself in the foot. If you keep taking penalties, you're uh, you're asking for uh, big numbers to be put on the scoreboard. And like we said, the even though the power play has looked good, uh, if the Sens are going to play that way and play undisciplined, they're not going to be able to keep up in games. But right now we mentioned that that top unit, or sorry, the other team's top unit, and the Senators have played some great top lines. You think about the Leafs what they're able to bring offensively. The Bruins, that top line is unbelievable. The big guys in Philly, again, the L.A. team that we're going to see on coming up this weekend is going to be another great test. So right now it's locking down those top units, and I feel like the Senators, if they're able to manage those top units and hold them off the scoreboard, the depth scoring is going to be able to hold up against the Sens here. So if you're able to limit the scoring against the top unit, obviously easier said than done. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know if we've seen these units be set yet completely, but right now it's got to be limiting the scoring from the other team's top units, and it's going to take some tough work to be able to do that. Yeah, it certainly will. Nothing's going to come easy. Craig Anderson has allowed three or more in all three games this season. Now, before we get to Prairie Fire, which was pre-recorded, and it sounded like Purdy was sleeping today, so we're going to have to talk to him about that, maybe give him a little slap and wake him up. But I want to take you, because on the way back from Belleville last night, Brandon and I were listening to the TSN 1200 broadcast, and when Radko Gudis made a pass, Dean Brown had this to say. Gudis apparently spent the summer doing hand paintings in caves. I am Groot. He's fantastic. He's the only living caveman I know. And Purdy is pretty much the same as that, but that was so <laughs> funny. Pillar and I were dying laughing. They had an OJ reference later on, so shout out to Dean Brown and Gord, Mil- Gord Wilson. Rather, I saw Gord Miller here today at TSN, but that pair has to be up there with the best in the league. You heard them on the call there with Brady Kachuk off our intro. So that, that, was, uh, that was Dean Brown and, and Gord Wilson. And now here's Brendan Purdy with Prairie Fire. Prairie Fire. Prairie Fire. 
Good morning, gents, or I guess in your neck of the woods. Good afternoon. Great to be back for another edition of P-Fire. And uh, congratulations. See what I did there? Yeah. On, uh, on earning your uh, diplomas, boys. So big things looking up for all of you. Uh, now on this week's edition of P-Fire, I'd like to kick things off with a little bit of uh, lighthearted stuff. So this Friday, I'm going to be shooting in a charity shootout contest. Uh, obviously, every round that I can get through, if I can make it through this round and advance, uh, gaining more money for my charity that I'm representing, TLC at Home. Check them out, especially if you're in the Saskatoon area. Yeah, we now, guys, are. in this shootout, I want to know, how many goals am I going to score? I got five shots. One, two, zero. Am I going to go five for five? I, I want to hear this. And please, please try and be a little gentle, considering I'm not going to be on to, uh, to defend myself. Well, if you look anything like you did when we got back from the loose moose celebrating grad, I'm going to say you're going to not even make it past the blue line. But if you're, if you're nice and sober, I'll give you one. I think I, I'll give you one. And no offense, I want you to do well. I want your charity to do well. But I don't think you have it in you, man, honestly. Well, I'm going to give him two, Ross, and that's if he can fashion his own stick himself. We saw him use quite the piece of lumber on the pond last year, and he had a little bit of success with it. So if he's able to uh, hack a limb off of a tree and fashion his own twig, I think think he'll be able to get two. That is way too nice. Now moving on (laughs) to some things in the Big Dog League. Two holdouts still remaining in that RFA category, Nick Ritchie in Anaheim and Will Nylander in Toronto. Now, obviously, Richie probably having a bigger impact being away from the Ducks with how many forwards they're missing right now. But where do you see these guys signing, ending up uh, as far as money and term? And do you see it being a real possibility that either of these guys are moved, whether it's a sign and trade or moved before a contract negotiation has been reached? Is he at the zoo? Do you hear those birds in the background? (laughs) You you, t- you take this one first. Obviously, Nylander's the bigger name here, but Anaheim's got a lot of injuries up front. Yeah, Anaheim, uh, they've been dealing with that for a long time. Last year, too, they were expected to be a big-time team. They had 106 points, and then the, the year before that one even, and then they came in, and so many injuries really dwindled what they were able to accomplish last year. So I think that that team... I think they're going to have to get the deal done first to answer part of the question, and I think he will stay... This Willie Nylander thing has me baffled, and I've heard that he's made some comments to Swedish newspapers saying he's going to get what he's worth and not a penny less, and I think Babcock is really not going to uh, not going to be liking that. We've heard comments from, his, from him saying that the guys that are there practicing are the guys that are going to play, and it seems like a real mess over there right now, especially for a first-time GM in Kyle Dubas. This is a tough, tough, a tough test for him right out of the gates in his career in the front office. It's tough right now. Maybe a bridge deal gets done. Right now, I think there's a lot of mouths with a sour taste in it in Toronto, and I don't see this thing getting done anytime soon or uh, ending in really a positive way for either side. Well, let's remember that Michael Nylander changed agents a ton during his career and held out himself a couple times. So you got to wonder what kind of advice uh, William Nylander's getting, but at the same token, if he signs for five or six and then sees Marner and Matthews get nine, nine and a half, eleven and twelve in terms of Matthews, 
that's not going to be a very good feeling sitting in the locker room for the next five years knowing that you're making that much less than your line mates and the guys that you're producing with when you were all top 10 picks. So, I mean, if you're the Leafs, pretty good problem to have, I think. Uh, if, if I'm Toronto, I, I'd be dangling William Nylander because there's a lot of teams that I think would give up a lot to get him. And if, and if Toronto could get a two-way defenseman like, like a, a Justin Falk just throwing a random name out of a hat, then I think they really have to think about that. Not like a young defenseman. You don't want this to be young for young. You want a guy who's under term at a pretty reasonable salary. But I don't even know what the question was. But if it's in terms of who who needs to come back more for the team, then Nick Ritchie for sure because Anaheim has been pulverized. Like Ryan Kessler's out of the lineup. Uh, Corey Perry's out of the lineup. And they need they need some offense there because with John Gibson in net and with the defense that they have in Anaheim, they should be a contender. But they're going to need some offense, especially going up against some some heavy hitters in the Pacific Division. There's no C in Ottawa, and Pierre Dorian alluded to heading into this season that this team was going to get younger and younger over the next couple of seasons. Who do you guys see as being the de facto leader on that team and the next player to get the C in Ottawa? You can definitely hear those birds, eh? Absolutely. Jesus. Well, the de facto captain is Mark Stone, so that's nobody fool. Nobody can get be fooled on that. Um, yeah, that that's as simple of an answer as I think I can give on that one. I was going to ask you if you wanted to count to three and say it together. It's obviously Mark Stone. Uh, this guy's absolutely everything to the team. You heard last. He's night even a babysitter the, now. Exactly. I was going to say you saw last night on the broadcast that he's walking in with Brady Kachuk. Uh, I don't think that's a, there could be a better guy in the league to take Brady Kachuk under his wing. Couldn't than agree Mark more. Stone. And uh, yeah, he's he should be the guy wearing the C, and absolutely, it should be a number one priority for. It seemed to get him signed and put a C on his sweater. And just so we give some information that maybe not everyone would know in that answer, Ottawa, because he signed a one-year contract, he cannot. they can talk, but he cannot sign a new extension with the Sens until January 1st. And finally, yeah. guys, this has been a really great start of the season for some rookies. Brady Kachuk had an explosive entrance onto the scene. But in your mind, which rookie has really jumped off the page to you? Parley, you can start with this one. Uh, Andrei Sveshnikov has been unbelievable. He's a powerhouse. He can shoot the puck. He looks comfortable. That Carolina team right now under Rod Brendamore, they're going to be strong. They're going to they're do the little things right. And I think Andrei Sveshnikov, he's taken second overall, and he's going to be the one with the, uh, I think with the biggest upside and the biggest impact right away. Yeah, I think so. But then you look at what Elias Pettersson's done in Vancouver, that highlight real goal in the opening game going upstairs from about four centimeters outside the crease. He's the leader in rookie scoring, although it's early. He's got two points per game. And get this, he's only playing 15 minutes a night. So he's doing it at, at with very limited ice time, at least so far, that'll grow as he becomes more and more comfortable. But I think what's really impressed me, usually like we even see this with Matthews and, and Crosby and Malkin, these young centermen have trouble in the face-off circle when they're young. But Pedersen, although early, is over 55% in the circle. And that's that's as impressive as it can get. Only thing more impressive, and if you don't know Pedersen, go look up how many awards he won last year in the Swedish yeah. Hockey League, which is a league 
that gets a lot of respect as a top five league in the world. And he was, was he 18? Yeah, because he'd already been drafted. 18 year old, and he just dominated that league. He did. Thanks again for having me on, guys. From the Paris of the Prairies, this has been P Fire. With Purdy and his friends, who I'm going to ask him what kind of bird that is. We'll, we'll check on it and we'll get, get uh, an answer for the next one. So, Parley, before we go, let's talk about this week. So, Saturday, 2 p.m., the Sens will host the LA Kings. And then Monday night, Mark Mathot, who was injured last year when Dallas came to Ottawa, he will return to the nation's capital for the first time as a Dallas star. That's going to be a special moment, no matter where you slice it, no matter with all the changeover, of course, it would have been more special if guys like Broussard and Carlson and Turris, if they were all here. But Mark Mathot meant so much to this city. I think it's going to be really exciting, and he's going to get all kinds of an ovation here. And he deserves everything he gets, and you're right. He was a big-time player in the dressing room. He did so much for the team. I will never forget what he was able to do against Sidney Crosby in that Eastern Conference final a couple seasons ago. The way he got worked, uh, sorry, the way he worked Crosby in the corners and the way he just stuck to the game plan every time. And how about, uh, when, how about when he pushed Crosby with his stick so that Hoffman could squirt an entire water bottle down his glove? <laughs> Repositioning him at the blue line, as, <laughs> as we could say, and... Uh, yeah, he did a lot for this franchise. You're right, it would have been a lot more special if his uh, D partner was right there with him, Eric Carlson. But nonetheless, it'll be a special moment, and he deserves a uh, he deserves an ovation. I just can't wait, because we should mention that the Sen social media team is on fire this yeah. year. The road tripping that was narrated by Thomas Shabbat about Boston was <laughs> all-time funny, and... Then you see videos like the one today of Ryan Dezingle helping out that family that's going through such a tough time with two of of the three children that are suffering from brain cancer. And, I mean, these videos are so well put together. They're so powerful. So uh, I can't wait to see the tribute video that Mark Mathot gets when he comes back because we're going to see some hip checks, we're going to see some intensity, and we're going to see that overtime winner against the New York Rangers where he poked the puck in and, and won the game. So... That, the the memories of Mark Mathot will never be forgotten. We know he's still an Ottawa guy. He's going to be around the city uh, for his entire life. So uh, gone but not forgotten type thing there. And let, let's talk about the game against L.A. Because, oh, another homecoming. Dion Phaneuf and Nate Thompson will make their return. So uh, a couple teams during this five-game homestand for the Senators. What are you going to be looking for? Because I know for me it's going to be watching Ilya Kovalchuk for the first time since, uh, I don't know, 2013? Yeah, it's been a long time, and it's exciting to see him back in the league and have an impact already. He's got a couple points. He looks pretty good with Andre Kopitar, but I think I would look good with Andre Kopitar. He's such a <laughs> professional. Uh, I'm looking forward to, I mentioned a little bit earlier, that's been a tough test, the top units against the Thomas Shabbat and Dylan DeMello line, so it'll be interesting to see which line's out there against them the most, who's logging the hard minutes, and to see if Lajoie is able to keep going on the D, on the defensive side of play as well as the offensive side if you'll keep getting the minutes it'll be interesting to see who's uh who's playing against that top unit and something of a very high interest to me is that Travis Yost posted the defenseman with the the lowest time on ice so far this season and Dion Phaneuf is number one on that list so for a guy who signed for another few years and of course the the comeback by a Kings fan would be 
how, how many games has Gabrick played this year? Well, for Ottawa, having that on long-term IR is basically a free contract uh, because they don't have to pay him. Insurance covers most of those things. So if you're L.A., man, you're stuck playing 11 minutes a game for Dion Phaneuf. Uh, what's what's got to give here? Because that's a guy who he's a heart and soul player. He's a hard player to play against when he's at his best, but he's not getting any faster anytime soon, that's for sure. And the league certainly is. Yeah, yeah, couldn't have said that any better, Chris. Well, I'm excited to see some uh, former Senators make their return to Ottawa. Um, they were all on the, the team. Well, I guess Nate Thompson wasn't, but Phaneuf and, and Mathot both played big roles because they were on that, remember the left side step up uh, thing? And now it's just <laughs> Boro left because they used to just funnel it. And if you were on the left side and you were a, a right winger on the other team, you were going to get cranked at, the, uh, at your own blue line. So... Those will be good teams to, to always uh, look back at and remember. We mentioned my thoughts overtime goal. How could we forget how, how Dion Phaneuf changed the series against the Boston Bruins after losing the first game? His goal, I mean, that celebration's just etched the, the jump the jump for joy that Dion Phaneuf had there. So, yeah, it'll be good to, to represent them. And then with a scheduling quirk, Ottawa plays Saturday, then Monday, and then not until Saturday again. So they'll have a nice break here in this five-game homestand. Yeah, it's odd to see, but uh, there'll be good time to uh, regroup, uh, keep going, and stay fresh. It'll be nice. It would be nice to see some more points go into the standings so that it can be a uh, upbeat and happy break for the team, so that they can bond a little bit more. And I think that'll if they are able to get some points on the board, it'll be a very uh, advantageous week off. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there as well. But interestingly enough, Tampa Bay is playing their second game of the season tonight. So this basically what I'm saying is the NHL schedule makes no sense. We're making sense of the sense. I'm Ross Levitan. That's Chris Parliament. You heard Brandon Pillar in our interview with Joey Decord. We want to thank Joey again for coming on. Follow him this weekend. Arizona State playing Ohio State. Ohio State is the number one ranked team in the country. So big test for AZ State, but Joey says that the team has never played better defensively than they did in their first two games. So we'll see if they can continue that on. Thank you for listening to Making Sense of the Sens. Follow us on Twitter at Sens Central, and we'll talk to you next week before the Sens play the Montreal Canadiens.